I uh, I plan on because I have to wait for the package. I have to sign for the package that's coming tomorrow from Sony. Um, so I plan on doing a sunset time lapse and letting Chelsea take the car to work. So like I figured, get some caffeine from the chai tea and go get a amazing sunset time lapse after this. Hell yeah, dude! I can't wait. I've been super jealous of most of all your freaking Florida time lapses, especially around that fucking lake of yours. Dude, so uh, that lake is two and a half miles from my house. And what's cool about that lake is it has a rapid charger right there. Wait, really? So like, yeah, dude, um, the city that we're having our house, that our house is being built in is called Kissimmee. Mm -hmm. They have been very like, there are free electric charging spots like that are like trickle charges, but like all around that lake and all around Kissimmee. Like they have... They are building electric infrastructure. It is amazing. Dude, that's rad. Even if it takes forever, it's fucking free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, and like, it doesn't take forever. Like I was getting like 10% an hour there. Mm-hmm. But um, the rapid charger costs us like four bucks to go from like 18% to 96. And that's like 150 miles. Damn, that that's still not bad, so like, dude. Four bucks. Yeah. Yeah, so we're getting like over 100 miles to the gallon if you factor that into gas terms. Right. Yeah, the electric vehicle has been amazing. 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 <laughs> um, I think that's a... Perfect not, place to do the we, intro. <laughs> yeah, we have no perfect segue into today's episode. So like, what is up, everybody? My name is Cody McCarty. Uh, this is... <laughs> I'm you Paul. can introduce yourself. Yeah. I get well, you don't want to introduce me for me. Yeah, I, I don't want to speak for you. I already, I'm, like, I'm a steamroller. I'm like Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec. Like, I'm 100% a steamroller. So, like, I gotta, I gotta be mindful of that. Nice. Gotta let you speak. <laughs> I am your co host, Paul Dillon. Uh, and this is the Explore Travel Capture Podcast, Season 1.1, Episode 2. Very excited to have you all here. This is a fan requested episode. So, thank you, David, for uh, writing in. We finally got around to making. The super comprehensive, in-depth astrophotography episode. Super comprehensive. Don't scare people off. It's not going to be that nerdy, but I mean, you know, strap in. Dude, get nerdy <laughs> with me. I could, talk nerdy dude, to me. I can talk about <laughs> astrophotography for, you can't shut me up. Like when somebody asks me, I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, crack the knuckles. Like, <laughs> here we go. Let's just yep. uh, loosen up that old man body. Some- <laughs> The rigor mortis is already stepping in. Rigor mortis. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're best friends with death, man. <laughs> you mentioned the last episode, you're waiting for your best friend. That's who you're waiting for. Yep, the Grim um, Reaper. <laughs> um, so basically, like, this is just everything that we know about astrophotography. It, it's going to be a fun episode. Astrophotography, just to kind of give you the TLDR, it's just photos of the night sky. There's a bunch of ways to be creative about it and a bunch of ways to take it. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. But me and Paul haven't talked to each other for like a whole week. So first I thought we, we could catch up a little bit and you guys could be part of that. Yeah, we probably should. I mean, it, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a staple in our podcast for us to catch up first before we speak. Not much has been going on with me, so I'm going to let you actually start off first. So people, fair. people get an exciting story before I bore the shit out of them. So I know we're trying to be organized with this podcast with timestamps and stuff. I know that's uh, feedback we got and something that we just want to do. I, I realize that like when you get to editing these, my timestamps are like minutes off because mm-hmm, of the FaceTime delay for sure. Yeah, and we gotta we gotta figure out uh, like updated timestamps. Like when you're editing, like you could just like press M and mark it the, in Final Cut. I have been doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, you could email that me over. That would be perfect. Cool. Because I, on the last episode, our timestamps are totally off. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so sorry. We're still figuring out the, the structured podcast. Thanks for bearing with yeah. us. I mean, if you think we're about it, it this is technically only the second episode we've done a structured. So we're still very Yeah, new. we didn't have a podcast before this. Nope. It was just two guys uh, talking shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so you asked what was going on with me. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, I have like a drone and a Sony camera on my, uh, on my desk. And this episode is going live after like my little embargo lifts, but 
I got hired by Sony um, to shoot some stuff with their new drone. So, like, if you've ever wanted to, like, put your, like, $8,000 camera up in the air, you can now do that with their new drone. It's called, like, an AirPeak. So excited about this. This is, like, a huge opportunity. Uh, the drone comes tomorrow. So that's Damn. what I have to sign for tomorrow. And, like, I asked Sony, I was like, hey, is my equipment, like, good enough, like, to capture? I have an A7S III and, like, some light lenses. And I was double-checking with them. This is how awesome Sony was. I literally, like, after sending that email, 10 minutes later, got, like, an email notification with a tracking number. And they're sending me, a, like, a camera and, like, a bunch of lenses and SD cards. And, like, we got you. No questions asked. So fucking rad. Like, how amazing is that? Like, I have had nothing but amazing experiences with Sony, and it's pretty funny because, like, I switched to Canon. Like, you Mm -hmm. knew that whole story, and just the immediate switch to Sony, like, within the week of switching to Sony, like, my product videos got better, people started complimenting my footage more, my workflow got easier somehow, and, like... I just was so happy with that switch. It was ridiculous. For for those OG podcast listeners and soon to maybe be leg- legacy podcast listeners, you remember that at every like 26 to 29 mark, we used to have to take a little pause for the yeah, record limit like on the little, Canon camera. We joked that it was an ad break. Mm-hmm. It, like our joke was that it was an ad break, but Canon had record time limits, which I film a lot of weddings and ceremonies are usually like 20 minutes, but sometimes if they go over like to stop and start recording on my cameras and then the overheating issues was just, Oh my God, it was a nightmare. Yeah. And I'm sure trying to time the like, I mean, you always have a safety shot or you always want a safety shot, but timing, like you don't want to stop both cameras at the same time. So having to like, I can imagine having to capture the right stuff, but also remembering like, I should probably stop this camera first and then stop this one. That's got to be frustrating. Here's the crazy thing, right? You mentioned two camera angles, but for weddings, if you're shooting solo and you don't have a second shooter or the client doesn't have a budget for a second shooter, you want three cameras minimum. Mm -hmm. Like you need close-up bride, close-up groom, and like a wide shot. Right. And like your cutaways. With Canon, like I was working on getting my third body, but I was running two. I had to have a second shooter, but I had a bunch of weddings booked with just me. My switch to Sony, I got three camera bodies, five lenses, for $5,000 less than it would have cost me with Canon. And like, I more than broke even selling my Canon equipment because Canon keeps raising the prices like crazy. Yeah. It's just been a fantastic switch. I've been working a lot of projects and just a lot of work coming my way. It has been a blessing like this month, especially with March being so slow. It has been chaos. And like, I think I've hinted at it with my vlogs. Like I started my business completely over when I switched to Sony. There was like a number of reasons. I had to remove the podcast. I had to remove like all my social and basically start over. And it's been great. Like the overwhelming support that I've had has been, as I said, overwhelming. Yeah. Like, Can we talk about your last vlog like for a minute? The, the, <laughs> Uh, first of all, a, if you guys haven't seen it, please, please seen it, uh, please seen it, please go watch it. It is fucking amazing. His ability to tell a story is inspirational to say the least, but your opening, your opening shot when you're sitting on the grass with your lawn chair and your, <laughs> and your microphone, it's pretty rad. I'm, I'm so glad like that vlog. So we've talked about imposter syndrome plenty of times, uh, just you and I a mm-hmm. couple times on the podcast and I had it really bad with that one. Like, I'll, I will say that, like, I re-recorded takes a million times. I cut out probably about 80% of what I shot because, like, I was so self-conscious of it and I was so critical of the timing and the pacing of it. Yeah. And, like, at a certain point, I just, like, had to push past that. And I'm like, you know what? I just got to upload this. Like, I can't keep stressing about it. So, like, I had that idea four days ago. Mm-hmm. But that vlog's timestamp is between like April 9th and April 15th. And like, I wanted to get that done in two days. Damn. But I was just so self-conscious about it. I I really was like, I want this like message to be impactful. I, I wanted it to be like a great movie. And I love that you enjoyed it. I put a lot of work into it. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. 
but I still like, I was like, you know what? I need to move on to other projects. I can learn from this, upload and move on. Right. I mean, there's gotta be something to say for that because every, everything I do, I'm just like not feeling it. And then you're like, oh, this is so great because of X, Y, and Z. And it gets vice versa, right? You weren't super feeling it, but I really got a lot out of it. So it just goes to show when you do stuff you love, other people are going to flock to that. Thank you. I mean, I really like you have been my cheerleader from day one. Like I <laughs> can't even get my mom Cody. to watch some videos. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get my mom to watch some videos. And like, I, here, here's Paul in the corner commenting on everyone. Like, yeah, you got it. I see like two views. One is my wife. One is Paul. <laughs> Those I'm are like, the only two views ever. Yeah. Um, Actually, I've been getting a lot of views on my videos and a lot of support. I, Dope, I dude. didn't expect that. That's been really cool. It, it's always great to have that validation of somebody watching or consuming what you create. For sure. I mean, we never do it for the like pat on the back of the praise, but when it happens, it feels really great. Yeah, it feels great. Like it, it does feel great. Yep. Um, now your birthday just passed. Like mm-hmm. I, you, you said you didn't have much going on, but like. Do you have stuff planned for your birthday? Do you have like any trips coming up? Like I know it's been a busy week for you at the fruit stand. So no, I don't have any plans for my birthday. It was just kind of, I just didn't want to do anything really. I wanted kind of the exact, exact opposite of what I've been doing, which has just been busy. So I, you know, big shout out to my wife because she allowed me to have the day off that I wanted to have. But I do have a trip coming up. Uh, new new moon's coming up April 30th and May 1st is new moon. So I have a, a trip to Alabama Hills. I've been to Alabama Hills five times and have yet to get any photos. And I know there's some magic there. But it also comes down to the fact that every time I've been, it's been with you. I went, it was 105, 110 degrees. And then every time I've been with my friend Zach, it's been 20, 25 mile an hour winds. So I know there are some good photos to be had, so I'm very, very, very positive about this trip. But as a backup plan, I can always go to Joshua Tree. Yeah, I mean that is a that is a perfect segue into what we're talking yep. about too, because like every time, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, this is an astrophotography mission that you're on, and like you talked about some of the the struggles with astrophotography. So I think we're ready to get into the meat and potatoes of this. Um, Paul, why don't you tell them what astrophotography is? I mean, it is it is exactly that. You kind of hinted to it earlier in the podcast. It's just the ability to take photos of the night sky. It doesn't necessarily have to be the Milky Way. While that is the most photogenic portion of, of the night sky is the galactic centers, so the real back, real thick. I mean, just Google Milky Way photos. It's the galactic core. So I'm going I'm to geek out on you and like be that guy. Please. We are in the Milky Way, Paul. Everything you photograph in the night sky is technically the Milky Way, unless you're doing deep space stuff. Just, just so people know. So, so what? Why? Why the galactic center then? Why is the galactic core the most photogenic portion of it? Because you can do the winter circle. Yep, which is still the Milky Way, mm-hmm. but the the galactic core is literally the black holes in the center of the galaxy. I and was just more like, why? Why do you think? Why are you so drawn to the galactic core? Because like, it's literally a black hole. It sucks everything in. It sucks in my attention. It's like a (laughs) gravity well of just, Cody, photograph this. I mean, the galactic core has all the the gas and the colors Mm -hmm. in the photos. Like when you think of an astro photo, you think of the galactic core. Like that is, that is the iconic astro photo. Like, so yeah, I mean, you think of photographing the Milky Way, you're right. Like that is the first thing that comes to mind. I just had to geek out on you there for dude a i love it like please do that is definitely the most photogenic portion of it because for nobody who understands or, or knows constellations or the night sky that is the most appealing visually because it's not yeah. just a bunch of dots in the sky you have the there's gases so and the much clouds. going on there's little galaxies within that like it's visually appealing behind or in front of any object the thing about astrophotography man is like it is giving you insight into like a world, like worlds beyond. Right. Like it makes you feel so small yet part of something so massive and so big. Like that's what she said, but <laughs> <laughs> so casual. I, you weren't going to say it. I could tell you wanted to though. <laughs> you can see my lip I'm quivering. Like, yeah. He's like, I don't, Cody's about to get philosophical. Can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really does like, it when everything is is 
going on in life and the chaos of just general life, like being under the night sky and just enjoying the night sky really helps put things in perspective. For sure. It's humbling. It's grounding. I mean, it's, it's primal, like to be able to like, even with the gear, you're around cameras and stuff, but like just to be out in the middle of nowhere, realizing that this, I'm looking at the same thing that is out in the night sky every single night. But for anybody listening to this podcast is a really good chance you live in the city. So you don't get to see that stuff. Yeah. I mean, our, our favorite part about the astrophotography trips is not just photographing the night sky. That is something that we absolutely love. And it's kind of like a mission. But the bonding experience uh, of it is, is, I think, why we keep doing it. For sure. Like, there are so many elements to it. Um, I think about, like, what got us into it, though, was just kind of like, I remember I geeked out when I first saw an astro photo and I had my first professional camera and I found out you could do time lapses and make the stars move in the sky. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what? I have to figure it out. And I went on this rabbit hole search, like deep into the forums, figuring out like, where do I need to go? How do I get this? And through that, like I got my first Astro time lapse and my first Astro photos and like they sucked, but it, it was amazing. Were those captured on the GH5? Got, yeah. So like small little micro four third sensor. Yeah. I think I remember, talk- was it in Big Sur? I think you had to pick the the bridge. That's the best one I ever got with the micro four thirds camera. Yeah. That is my favorite one. And that was the last one I got with it, actually. We're going to talk about camera equipment and like different sensor sizes a little bit. Um, just to kind of explain what that is, but the GH5 is a smaller sensor camera, not ideal for astrophotography, but still possible to do. Definitely. And then I met you and we went out, like I just, I think we hung out at Big Bear first and we were like, we're both filmmakers and we filmed something with smoke bombs. That's a story for another time, (laughs) but like, that's definitely like, that should get its own podcast. Mm -hmm. But then after that trip, like we bonded a little bit and Paul, I, I think your perspective is what people would want to hear about what it was like when I invited you to the first Astro trip and everything going wrong and, and what made you come back. <laughs> For sure. I mean, there is something to be said about the bonding aspect. I've, I've tried to go out myself and shoot photos and it's just a different experience because my love for astrophotography comes, it's built within that. It's kind of intertwined with bonding with people. So going by myself, I push myself. It just, I never, I've yet to have like a really good time by myself when I, and, but when I go out with like, for example, the last trip to Joshua Tree, I went with Zach and Angel and while Zach doesn't shoot and he was asleep, Angel woke up with me at 1am and we were wandering around taking photos of the night sky and like getting to teach him astrophotography. Like, because you got me into astrophotography that it's built around bonding. So, yeah, I mean, it's it it fulfills that sense of like adventure that I think we all kind of crave. Like for sure, you feel like a kid again. Like you're adventuring through the night, the unknown. Like you're discovering new stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm into landscape photography and into the night sky photography, and I like I'd followed some astrophotographers before, but I don't know. There's something maybe it's the DJ in me because like you never ask another DJ like, oh, what record is that? It's just like the unspoken rule. So like I never really reached out to any astrophotographers, but then I have my friend Cody who posts this astro for this astro time lapse of that, the, the bridge and it like blew my fucking mind. And now you're, I have the ability to like reach out to this person. You're in arm's reach and you invite me to Joshua tree. I see the night sky for the first time. I'm like blowing my mind. And you're like, you give me some like, try this setting and this shutter speed. And I'm using the Joby tripod and I take that photo for the first time. I, this is the first time I'm hearing it. I didn't know. Sorry. I, I didn't know that like you had already seen like my big Sir Astro time lapse. And I didn't realize that made such a big impression on you. Like I didn't know that that was a factor as to why you said yes to the completely unprepared <laughs> freezing cold Joshua tree trip. Yeah. I, I didn't know any, I didn't, I haven't been camping as an adult, so I had no idea like that was going to come, but I was just more open to the experience. Cause here I have this person in arm's reach that I can ask all these questions to. And you showed me that the shutter speed goes the opposite direction. Like I'm used to speeding up the shutter speed to like, I don't know, catch a bird to or somebody jumping action, or something. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh my God, I never realized that it goes past the second. And you were like, you know, try, 
I don't remember, just for sake of conversation, you know, try 15 seconds, ISO 800, whatever. And I took a photo and I'm like, oh my God, like that is the product of all of these like settings. Like, and I was hooked that night. I remember you were shooting a time-lapse and I was literally just wandering around taking photos of absolutely nothing. But the fact that you could see the stars was like mind blowing. Because they look like dim lights and it's pretty through your eyes, but there's something magical about like, the, the camera unlocks more. For sure, which we'll get into and it like, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's kind of what got us into it. That's like our little bit of our origin story. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of get you guys out there and talk a little bit about where you guys are going to try and shoot astrophotography or where you can get the best view of the night sky. Yeah, we've you've heard us say dark skies or night sky or just not being in the city. So there, there are apps and websites out there. I think light pollution map is one of the most common ones that you can use to find a place in your area that's at least, most of them go off of colors. So red being the brightest, orange being, you know, not as bright, yellow being not as bright, and then green, blue, and black. I'm pulling up the light pollution map so I can kind of give um, like... I'm pretty um, sure it goes red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and black, but Light pollution map is one of the most popular. You can type in an area in your area. And if at the very least you can't go out to a national park that's dark and you just happen to live by the coast, you can practice shooting out towards the ocean. Out towards the ocean is a good place to start. While it's not going to be as dark as, say, Joshua Tree or some kind of national park in the middle of nowhere, it's a good place to practice because you have less light pollution. I have the light pollution map up on my computer right now. So I can kind of give a little bit of insight into like my experiences with the light pollution map specifically. Okay. I have gotten usable astrophotos where you can see details of the galactic core in their yellow, darker yellow spots. Mm -hmm. Green is a lot clearer. Mm -hmm. You can see a lot more detail. And then the, the clearest and the most ideal is blue, dark blue and black. That those are your best best places but if you don't have like a a dark blue or or gray or black area like on your map because like i'm looking at this map and the united states is bright especially on the east coast Mm -hmm. like it is east coast is ridiculously bright but like don't be discouraged if you see like a yellowish spot it's worth trying yep um, like Paul talked about shooting over the ocean. If like you're by a coastal city, you're going to get light pollution still like ref- refracting or reflecting off of like the moisture in the air and stuff. But like, you'll be able to make out more if you shoot towards the ocean, but like, don't be discouraged. Just stay out of the red and orange zones. Yep. And something to also take into consideration for where to shoot is, is more or less just the time of year. Realistically, as Cody pointed out, we live in the Milky Way, so the night sky is always out. But that photogenic portion, that galactic center is usually out in the summer. So like March to September, give or take, when it's high enough above the horizon where this you can actually see This is specifically for the northern hemisphere, yeah. too. Yep. It's flipped and reversed for the southern hemisphere. Definitely jealous um, for that. The fact that you guys can be out in the cold and shoot Astro is nice because most of the places around here are in the desert. So come summertime, it's 100 degrees at night. Yeah, it makes it really rough where you're at, like <laughs> ridiculous. And then Florida, like I just have, you know, I have stormy seasons. So like getting a clear night sky, like on a new moon is a nightmare. Yep. Oh, but, um, I did want to say something. Um, there's a the photographer, Michael Stainbloom. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. If for some reason you're watching this, I'm sorry, I butchered the last name, but he is a Bay Area, a Bay Area photographer in San Francisco, and he was able to capture the Milky Way in San Francisco. So while what? there's a specific spot he shot that was kind of in the yellow, so to your point earlier, okay, it's okay. worth going out to shoot in the yellow. Um, he actually was able to capture the Milky Way in there. Is there as much you know, color and detail as it would be in the middle of nowhere? No, but it's out there. And if you haven't shot before and you want to practice, there you go. Yeah, and... So you guys have a general idea for map wise, like where you can shoot and it's always worth trying. But if you are driving to a dark sky place, we are going to give you the insider secrets on how to make sure you aren't wasting your time or wasting a trip going (laughs) to those places. Because let me tell you, it is lightning striking a fine point trying to get 
the perfect astro photos. Yeah, there's a lot to take into consideration. And if you heard my story a few minutes ago about me going to Alabama Hill five times and I've yet to get any good photos, it's difficult to do. So, I mean, some of the things to take into consideration are weather. Yep. Mainly. So weather's going to be like the big one. Mm -hmm. And then the other big one is lunar calendars. So this is the biggest factor when it comes to photographing the night sky. Yep. Basically, you want to be as far away from a full moon as possible. You do not want the moon coming out. Believe it or not, if you take a long exposure astro photo on a full moon, it is going to look like your photo is going to look like a bright, sunny day. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is wild the first time you ever experience it. So the perfect time to get astro photos is a new moon. Now, if you study the lunar calendar for your area and like you get familiar with it, it doesn't always have to be right on a new moon. Right. Like you can you can do like you can plan around the moon setting and when the moon rises and you can get good enough astro photos. Yep. But it's learning that lunar calendar. And for your first time, you probably want to try within the week of the new moon. Yeah. I mean, you can, like you can Google the, best bet. you can Google the lunar calendar. I have an app on my phone called the moon. I pay for the one ninety nine a year subscription that it is because it gives me the ability to like set alerts and look ahead and I can plan ahead That's and do, do cool. other things. So it's, it's called the moon. I, I'm not sponsored. It's We're not sponsored. a year? Yeah. I might do that. Cause like my, my lunar calendar, like I, I Google like a lunar calendar mm -hmm. and I download it. That's super sketch. Like I'm, I'm syncing a, I'm syncing a calendar with like some stranger who's like, Hey, here's the lunar calendar. So like an app might be smarter for me. It's called the moon. Yeah. Just literally called the moon. You can use it for free. The only difference between the free and the paid is you can only look at the month you're in. You can't plan ahead for the free version and planning oh, ahead uh, helps. $2, $2 to, uh, to save myself like a nightmare in planning. Yeah. Like, it's rad. You can see, priceless. you can see obviously like. You know, if you're going to shoot the moon, there's a little bit more details about like when it rises, how high it is above the horizon, things like that. But mainly for Astro, it's good to see ahead and be able to plan ahead. That's awesome. So my favorite app and like a must have app, it's an expensive app, is uh, Photo Pills. Mm -hmm. That is like, it's what, like $15 now? Like No, it's, it's 10 bucks still. It's $9.99. Okay. I mean, that's still like $100 in app terms. Like that is <laughs> that's very true in app terms. It literally has a cash value of $10, but like I'm going, it's a $100 value. I honestly, for as much as I've got out of it, don't tell them oh, this, yeah. but I'd be willing to pay more than that for it. Oh yeah. That, we got to keep that on down low. Um, what are your favorite things about it? So photo pills literally lets me see where the galactic core, our favorite thing to photograph in the sky, mm -hmm. where it will be. And it uses like an AR feature. So like you get on location, right? And let's say you see this Joshua tree and you want to figure out where the galactic core is going to be behind it. And you can literally hold up your phone and you can see, like you can scroll through time and see exactly where it's going to be and plan your shots accordingly. And it is eerily accurate. And like, if you want the most accuracy, because you should be scouting your landscape shots during the day, that's like another trick, Yep, is scout where you want to shoot your night photos during the day. Mm -hmm. You can align the sun with this app so you can get an exact location of where that galactic core is going to be. Yep. And you can just look into the future and it's amazing. And if you're going to a place with no cell service, you can download that area's like AR, like calendar thing. Yep. And it also will show you where the moon will rise and set mm -hmm. in AR. I love that. Like it is fantastic. For the longest time I used uh starry night sky tracker, mm -hmm. which is a great free app, but the ads get really annoying. It's not as accurate. It really isn't. Um, like I would always use a compass and look at North Southwest on the app. And that was kind of like the best way to do it. But for the $10, the PhotoPills app has literally made shots for me. 100%. I can sit on my couch, which I always do, knowing I'm going to go to Alabama Hills. I already have the plan. I have basically a couple areas where I plan to camp. So if, you know, plan one, somebody is there, I can go to plan two. And I have the ability to see, to Cody's point, what time, what direction the moon, uh, excuse me, the Milky Way rises, where to shoot, how far away to be. 
and then the AR feature when I go there. But Cody did point out something really important is if you've never been somewhere, even if you've been somewhere, scout the spot in the daytime. Do not wait until night and just expect that you're going to wander around and find the spot because yeah, it's not going to be that easy. that's our rookie mistake we made for a very long time. Yes. Like we did not have like a lot of free time. We did a lot of overnights and that's a rookie mistake we made for a lot of reasons. Yep. Like one was time. We used to do like trips like three or four times a month. Mm-hmm. We were kind of crazy. Um, and just planning ahead. So speaking of planning ahead, there's an app that like I would love to see like a more like landscape feature. I haven't played with this app much, but it's called shadow map. And I feel like it, it gets like an honorable mention, uh, for time time lapses. Essentially it lets you see like in cities where the shadows will be from buildings, depending on the time of day you go. Interesting. And it's like a very fascinating concept because like for time lapses, like, shadows are a big thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, especially like if there's no there's shadows. no clouds in the sky. You have to have some something that's moving. Yeah, so, like, it's a fascinating thing. And, like, I now am at the point in my astrophotography career where, like, I like the idea of playing with a little bit of light from the moon to add a little bit of contrast to my time lapses and, like, a unique dynamic to my scene. So, like, being able to see how the shadows would play out through the night via the moon would be a very cool thing. That's pretty rad. Yeah, so that's like something that we do. Um, so I, that's like my honorable mention app, but the big apps is Moon, the Moon, and uh, Photo Pills. Yep, I do. I will Photo say p- I do use Google Earth. Going to a place I've never been, like the first time I went to Alabama Hills, I definitely scoured that place with Google Earth just to see like rock formations and things because it's hard to oh, go I, and see somewhere when you've never been. I feel like you have to like yeah. I, that. That's a given. Sorry, we shouldn't assume that, but like I, I use maps. I use Google Maps. I use like everything, and I like look at their different satellite views. That's For something sure. I definitely do. Yep, and I like those things aren't updated as frequently for like landscape areas, but like. I found like, oh, this tree looks really interesting right here. Remember when we uh, when we went to Mojave? Mm-hmm. I flew out there and like I went to Mojave and I looked at the satellite map and I'm like, oh, there's these like trees yep. here, like in front of the dunes. This would be cool for an astro time lapse. And we found those trees. Yep, that was actually like, a really freaking cool place to camp too. Yeah, dude. If only like summers weren't so ridiculously hot in Mojave Desert, yep. I'd say let's go do that again when I fly out next month. Like, yep. yeah, that's insanity. So uh, don't underestimate satellite views and don't be surprised if it looks different, but like it gives you a, a rough idea. For sure. Like it, it prepares you for the sensory overload that is going to these places. Mm-hmm. Sensory overload is like something I suffer every time I go to a new place. Me too. Um, so we now have like our places, what you need to like be aware for, mm-hmm. of and like apps we use. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the gear. Um, we're going to try and work on timestamps. If you guys aren't like super gear like heads, you can skip it, but this is like really useful information. So first off, you need a camera where you can control the shutter speed. Yep. And then you want a really fast lens, like the aperture number, the F number, you want it to be like 2.8 or faster. Yep. That's like the sweet spot. That's not the end all be all. People have gotten some amazing astro photos with F4 lenses. It just kind of depends on your camera and experimenting. That's the number one thing you do is you experiment. You learn how your, your equipment handles it and you take as many photos as you want and like take a ton of photos with a bunch of different settings And then you have a lot of options to play with in your editing software. For sure. More importantly than anything you'll ever learn in this podcast is going to be knowing your camera inside and out, knowing your camera's strengths, its weaknesses, where it falls short, where it's, where it does really well, no matter if it's a $4,000 camera to a $500 cheap Rebel T5i or some equivalent, knowing your camera is going to be very important. Exactly. And unless you're shooting film, Digital film is relatively cheap, mm-hmm. so don't be worried about filling up your card. Fill the hell out of that card. Yep. Up. Like, get as many shots as you want. You could delete them later. So, we're talking about camera gear. You want, like, a larger sensor lens. lens. Um, essentially, like, we shoot on full-frame lenses, 
The smallest sensor that's about half that size is a micro four thirds sensor. That's probably the smallest we would recommend. That being said, Paul has taught somebody how to take like astrophotos with what, what was that person using? Oh, I don't remember what camera that was. I'll never remember. I've taught somebody how to take astrophotos on a really cheap plastic Nikon camera and is uh, another Canon, like really cheapy yeah, like SLR a, like lens. Yeah, like a kit Canon lens and kit. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yep. So like it's it's about having fun with it. Like I, our buddy Frank was using a 50 millimeter lens, which we'll talk about in a second. That is not the lens you want to use mm-hmm. for astrophotos, but it's what he had and he had a blast yep. doing it. And then I think there was a behind the scenes photo that was taken with an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, that like got the stars and you could kind of see stuff and it was like fun to see. So like, don't stress about that too much. But when you get your 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 camera that you can control, the next is the lenses. You typically, for landscape astrophotography, you want it to be 35 millimeters or wider. Whenever we're talking about like millimeters, we're talking in full frame equivalent. So like, if you have a crop sensor camera, it's on you to figure out what that equivalent is. Yeah, we don't want to put you to sleep with the math, but it is very, it, thankfully, it is very easy to figure out. You just Google it. It'll tell you exactly what it is. But yep. to Cody's point, 35 millimeter or wider means like a 24 millimeter, 18, 16, 14, something of that. When you see most astrophotographers that you follow or look, or maybe even the photos that Cody and I have shot, they've always been wide. I, up until this point, only shot the 16 to 35 Sony G Master lens so that I was always shooting at 16. I now have recently got the 2414, so I will be doing some tracked photos at 24 mil. But I love the 16 millimeter. Um, I did shoot, I know Cody will speak a little different to this because he has the 14 now, but when I did the 12 millimeter video review for the that Sony camera and the 14 millimeter, sorry, the lens, I didn't like 12 and 14. It was a little too wide for my taste. Yeah, with uh, ultra wides, like the super ultra wides, you have to be very mindful of composition. Mm-hmm. And the cheaper ultra wide lenses will will create some distortion, so like that's something to be mindful of. Um, so now you have like your camera, you have your lens, you have a rough idea of like what you need. Now let's kind of talk about the settings because. But how are you going to gen- hold the camera? Oh, you need a <laughs> tripod. Oh my god, how could I, that is the most important thing. Like. <laughs> I swear we talked about this in the last episode of the podcast. We talked about how like people undervalue tripods. Yeah, because we well we talked about like things that we'd wish we'd had early on, and I spoke to the fact that I shot astrophotography like five or six trips with a freaking Joby tripod. Do not buy the cheap twenty dollar Amazon Basics tripod. No, like the cheapest like quality tripods. You're looking at the eighty dollar range. Mm-hmm. Like and and they they'll hold your camera up. Like. Yep. You know, as long as God doesn't go like, fuck your camera and sends like a huge gust of wind, they'll hold your camera up just fine. <laughs> but like, do not buy the Amazon Basics tripod. Yep. Like, oh my God. But yes, you need a tripod. So yeah, you, 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 you want a tripod because you're, you're going to leave the camera sensor open and we'll get into settings in a little bit or just the settings that we like. We're about to jump into settings. You're going to so have like, your, you're going to have yeah. your shutter slow down a little bit. So you want a tripod because any bit of movement is going to cause blur. Oh, yeah, we should probably probably let people know. The Earth is spinning very fast. In case you didn't know, like a, yeah. You were today years old when you learned. You were today years old when you learned the Earth was spinning. Yes. So because of that, after, like, if you have your shutter open for 20 seconds, the stars start to move in the image because they're not in the same place in the sky as they were. So... That's what we're going to get into. This is like the basics of astrophotography yep. and results may vary, but let's talk about the 500 rule, Paul. This is not really a rule, more of a suggestion and a starting off point. It's on you guys to figure it out because cameras treat this very differently and lenses treat this very differently. But the 500 rule is super basic math. You divide 500 by whatever focal length you're shooting with. So Whatever 500 divided by 24 is, that's how long you theoretically can have your shutter open. Yeah. This is where I shoot. Like I said earlier, I shoot the 16 to 35. So if you divide 500 by 16, don't quote me on this because I'm not, I'm just going to do it off the top of my head. I think it's like 34 seconds. When I, (laughs) that, that is definitely not what you ever want to like have your shutter speed at. Like 
Yeah, it's thirty-one point two five. Yeah. So Paul, I, I are never you matching us. I never get anywhere near thirty seconds. What you want to do to our point earlier is you want to learn your camera strengths and weaknesses. You take a test photo. Let's just say for sake of conversation, you're shooting a sixteen millimeter. You take a photo at 30 seconds. You want to punch in on that photo once it's taken to see the edges of the photo and look to see for star trailing. On so my essentially the stars should be like pinpoint dots, mm-hmm. just to clarify. Like they should be like fine little dots in the sky. That's what he's about to explain with star trailing. Sorry, Paul. I totally interrupted you there. Remember in the beginning of the podcast when he said he was a steamroller? Choo-choo! <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's a train. That, I mean, a steamroller make? Like, st- grinding sound? Chugga-chugga? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> to, give you, to give you an example, I personally like around the 15-second range. That, for the A7 III at the time, was the best light allowed by the sensor, but didn't allow any star trailing. Anywhere up to 20 seconds, I did notice the outside. For those of you listening, I'm doing a circle. For the, for the outside of the frame, I got star trailing at 20 seconds. So I personally like 15 seconds. Yeah, that has to do with like distortion and a bunch of math that we are not going to get into. But me, on the other hand, I switched to Canon temporarily from Sony. And I would start to get some star trailing at like, I'd have to shoot at 13 seconds. And like, that's where you have to understand your camera. Mm-hmm. The other thing is like, we're talking shutter speed. Like you're having that shutter open for like 13 seconds, 10 seconds. Sometimes like it just kind of depends. So you're playing around with your camera and you're figuring that out. The other setting. So we got a general idea of shutter speed. The other setting that's going to play a big factor in the image quality is going to be your ISO because the ISO is telling your camera how sensitive it's going to be to light. And all cameras treat this very differently. Even if you're shooting raw, which we highly recommend, you should shoot the raw photo data as much as possible. Like your camera should be shooting raw, not JPEG. If you don't know what that is, figure it out. <laughs> but <laughs> ISO is going to make huge differences. And Typically, with like nice full-frame cameras, you could go to ISO 3200 with a very, very clean image with most modern cameras, I think. W- would you say that's accurate, Paul? Yeah, it's about accurate. I do want to point out really quick before we move away from shutter speed. Oh, yeah, go is ahead. Is just the self-timer. So if your camera has a self-timer, mm. it's a good idea to do because when you press that shutter, if it's actually taking a photo when you press down on the camera, for those of you listening, I'm... I'm using my thumb like I'm pressing down or that's not my thumb. But anyways, you want to use a self timer. If your camera doesn't have a self timer, you may want to consider an an external intervalometer so that you can set it to take a photo two seconds or three seconds after it. You're going to get some camera shake for sure. Yeah, you're adding movement. And that that could be if you are taking photos and you're like, why are my my star photos blurry? It's probably from you pushing down Mm -hmm. the shutter. So we, we set our cameras to a two second delay. Yep. Um, pretty much all modern cameras have that now, but if you're shooting on an older camera, you can get, uh, this external shutter trigger. They're like 15 bucks off Amazon. Yep. So yeah, that's a really good call out. Um, really good call out. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure we touch bases on that before we move on to ISO. Remember David was like as in depth as you can get on astrophotography. Without We're making it to, like a two-hour podcast, <laughs> a two-hour just boring podcast. Like, and the only that person is, that's going to be listening and taking notes is David. Everybody else is going to be like, "Man, this shit sucks." Like, he's like, "What the heck?" Like, he's like over here, like, "Okay, ISO, like, micro adjust." Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, learning your camera is really important. Uh, Sony cameras are my favorite for astrophotography. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not sponsored, even though Sony's hiring me for like some camera related stuff. This is not sponsored. I, like I said, I was shooting Canon. I loved certain things about my Canon camera. I love certain things about the Sony cameras and like it's whatever gear gets the job done. Sony hands down wins in the astrophotography department. Yep. I don't want to get derailed too much from the settings thing. So I'm just going to go over some things really quickly. So we talked about shutter speed. Yeah, all good. Keep us on, keep us on track, boy. You want to shoot raw whenever (laughs) humanly possible. If your camera only shoots JPEG, shoot JPEG, use what you have. Get a new camera. You want, (laughs) yeah, that too. Cody said he'll send you a check for a new camera. It's in the mail. Um, 
That is a quick little disclaimer. It's going to bounce. It's definitely going to bounce. <laughs> I'm gonna a starving do, artist, Paul. You're going to do what Michael did for Scott's Tots? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be like, guess what, guys? You're all going to college. Nice. Just get straight A's. All right. So you, you essentially, we're getting sidetracked again. You essentially want to shoot everything manual. And what that means is you want manual focus, which we'll get into a little bit. You want manual white balance. You do not want it on auto. You want manual ISO. You don't want that on auto as well. You essentially yeah, want every setting on manual. Making decisions is is very bad. It's very poor at making decisions. You, yes, you can get away with that when it's very light outside, so like in the sun. But yeah. when it's dark, it's very poor at making decisions. Yeah, like autofocus is like unusable. Mm-hmm. So uh, the manual focus is is definitely important. And if you have a camera that allows you to punch into the preview of the image, that will help you so much in making sure that that is a little dot in the sky. Yep. That's important to point out. For those of you shooting on a DSLR that have live mode, you'll want to use live mode so that you can see on the LCD where your adjustment is. Worst case scenario, you're just going to have to take a couple photos until you get those. To Cody's point, you want that star as tight and small as humanly possible. You don't want any kind of, if you, for those of you with the stigmatism, kind of you know photographers, what I'm talking about. What kind of photographers are like, don't have live view now? Like, come on. I mean, if you're shooting, like, for example, um, Frank's camera didn't. Yeah, but like... Uh, I guess you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. Someone out I, there I, listening to this is going to have an older camera. Ah, uh, you're fine. I guess. Like, <laughs> I guess spending six thousand dollars on an astrophotography setup isn't reasonable. Not for everybody. Not even for me. It's called <laughs> credit card debt. <laughs> um. So I'm going to just tell you some of the some of the settings that I personally like and we'll kind of we'll talk about those. So a second ago you heard oh, yeah. that I like I'm, I'm very curious. What do you what do you like? The second ago you heard me say that I like specifically for the A7 III. Now I'm shooting with a new camera which we can talk about later. I like 15 seconds ISO 6400 f2.8 of course shooting at 16 mil and a white balance depending on where I'm shooting somewhere between about 45 and 48, maybe 4,900 Kelvin. That, that's typically at night. It's going to be a little bluer, so I like that. The good news is shooting raw, as long as you're not on manual white balance, you can go a little bit into the extreme in either direction and you kind ha- of peel it have, back. You have a lot of flexibility 100%. for shooting raw. That's yep. the benefits of shooting raw. You're getting more data. I was going to say, like, I typically, like, if you're within, like, 500 of temperature, like, within spitting distance, like, you're you're going to be fine for shooting sure. raw. You can do adjustments. Yep. I primarily shoot time lapses. So my settings are going to be slightly different mm-hmm. than Paul's. Paul very much focuses on astrophotography and he takes some stellar astro images. You should definitely you. check him out on Instagram. Like, oh man, I get jealous of his astro images. I'm just addicted to moving pictures. For sure. What? Like, I'm just addicted to movies. So with astro time lapses, time lapses are like a 10 second time lapse takes like an hour. It's 240 photos equals 10 seconds. Unless you're my dumb ass who had a star tracker who did the timing wrong and shot a couple hundred photos and got like a split second. Yeah, it looks amazing, but it's way too short. (laughs) That was so amazing though. Um, Okay. (laughs) Sorry. We're we're not getting into star trackers here. (laughs) That's for the, the last section of this podcast, which is how we experiment and get creative. So like that's the last section, Paul. Um, essentially the time lapses, I have to be mindful of how long it will take the, f- the camera to actually capture the image to get good intervals between each image. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want to have my camera taking a photo every 30 seconds because then it's going to like, the stars are going to look jumpy. They're going to move a lot in that time period. So like, I want my, my astro photos being taken like every 15 seconds. Well, with some cameras like the Canon EOS R6, I noticed if I had my shutter set to even 13 seconds, the time it would take for the shutter to go up and down would have it skip a frame. And this was really frustrating in the sense that like, now it was taking a photo every 30 seconds. And that's that's just not good. So making sure that like, with time lapses, you're gonna have slower shutter speeds than if you're doing astro photos. Mm-hmm just so you can capture that movement a little bit more. Uh, All the settings that Paul talked about, though, basically apply to your time lapses. You just got a, you got a little bit slower shutter speed or a little faster. Wait, which is it? Yeah, a little slower. It's it's faster. Yeah, no, No, it's faster. It's faster. A little faster. You shoot faster than 15 seconds? 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's how it goes. So, like, if, if you're going from 15 seconds to 10 seconds, you're shooting faster, technically. Yeah. You, so you shoot, yeah, you shoot faster slower. than... You shoot faster than 15 seconds, really? Yeah, with time lapses, I'm shooting at, like, 10. Damn, really? Holy shit. Yeah, that's how the movement looks so smooth, man. I just... Because I stack photos anyway, so I'll just let the camera go, like, 15, 20 seconds I mean, for the The four motion hours hides the noise. That's the thing. Right. The fact that, like, a, t- a time lapse, like, I'm not worried about having the cleanest image possible. So, like, Still, 10 I'm seconds... Still, I'm very like, impressed. Yeah. Um, on the Canon R6, that's why all my time lapses looked a lot darker uh-huh. than on my Sony cameras. Because Canon just... You couldn't bring out detail in the raw photos. Yeah, like, interesting. I really hated how bad the Canon photos were for Astro. Like, especially time lapses, like... I talked about it in a vlog. I hated the Canon camera for time lapses. Hated it. Yeah, we've t- we've, we've discussed ever. it a little bit about what you just said about the the skipping. But I'm I'm just a I'm really impressed. But also like I'm today years old when I was learning, Cody used ten seconds for his time lapses, Astro time lapses. That's cool. Yeah, it's figuring out work what works for you and your totally. style though. Like you're you're not gonna figure it out there. Um, so you might as well figure like take a bunch of for your first time. Take a bunch of different photos, like, and see all the settings, because you're not gonna know what you like until you get back home and you edit it. Right. Like that's the thing. So, your best bet to figuring out sooner what you like is to take as many images as possible. Yep. Yeah. You're good. It's okay. Oh, I. We got a mascot. I'm like hearing all these noises. Like my dog is barking. Like helicopters are going off outside. There's a car alarm going off outside. Oh, jeez. I can't like, hear any of it, but maybe the podcast will. Yeah. I. Who knows? I mean, they're they're not getting studio level quality. They're getting like a FaceTime, like bros talking about astrophotography <laughs> podcast. So like, we're not we're not like. Who are the big podcasters? I only know Joe Rogan because he makes headlines all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of big podcasters that I listen to. None, none that are photo. I kind of wish there was more photo. Photo. I'm sure there is. I just don't know about them. But oh yeah, like there's a bunch. But like, I I don't. Li- I'm just now figuring out like podcasts and and l- listening to some podcasts. Welcome so to like, 2022, Cody. Thank you. I uh, <laughs> just quit social media too, man. Like I don't I don't know how to TikTok. I like don't even know how to Instagram anymore. They've messed with that algorithm so much. Like. <laughs> I just post YouTube videos, record these podcasts, and uh, yeah, I just pray for work. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so you guys have a general idea for the basics of astrophotography. Now let's talk a little bit how you can get creative and experiment with the astrophotography because once you get down the basics, you'll probably get it down like after your first trip or your second trip. You'll want to get creative. And one of the most creative things I think I ever did with my time lapses was lighting my foreground with a little blow-up lantern. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is for time lapses specifically. Paul, I would love to hear how you get creative with your photos. But, like, for astrophotography, typically, like, your foreground element, like if we're in Joshua Tree and I want a Joshua Tree in the shot, you're getting the silhouette of a Joshua Tree. You're not getting much detail on the Joshua Tree because of the way that the exposure works. One of my tricks is to get this like $30 inflatable lantern that's solar powered from REI. And like I set it to 1% and it would be enough light to show the details of the Joshua tree and cast a small shadow. The trick was like figuring out how to, to hang it and to like find creative spots to hang it. But that was how I was able to get like an extra element of uniqueness to my astro photos. For sure. And I mean, there's something important to talk about. Like earlier you said, taking a few photos to kind of find what works for you. That's a perfect example. Like you didn't just walk up to a Joshua tree, place it there, hit the camera and it was perfect the first time. You took maybe five or six photos to figure out how close you needed the lantern, how far away, dial in the settings so that the lantern was- I moved the tripod, moved back and forth. Yeah. Yep. So it's really important when you go out for the first time is just experiment. To Cody's point, every time though, take man, a bunch like, of photos. Yeah, I mean, getting to the spot, like scouting the location at, at while the sun's up, finding where you want to shoot, mm-hmm. and then getting there with like an hour and a half before like what you want to photograph in the night sky rises. 
like is super important because you're going to spend a long time figuring out exactly how you want to compose that image. For sure. And even, even though I have a very good understanding of my camera strengths and weaknesses, I still take a bunch of photos. Maybe there's a little moisture in the sky. Maybe there's, I don't know, something moving here. Yeah. I always take like, at least 10 photos before I'm comfortable and ready to like set and actually take photos. And those 10 photos, it's like 15 seconds each photo. Yep. So like, that's, that's like five minutes of time. Mm-hmm. Just right there taking 10 photos Yep. because you have to adjust and you have to, so like plan to get there early. That's definitely it. Um, what is something you do that like, cause I have two other things that I do to add uniqueness to my time lapses, but what do you do to add uniqueness to your photos? I mean, even before the star tracker, which we'll talk about a little bit, you heard me kind of talk about it and put you to sleep in the last episode. And you're going to hear me from this day forward, talk about it. I personally like photorealistic style. I don't really compose too much, which is essentially taking like a photo of something where the Milky Way never goes or never sets and putting the Milky Way behind it. I personally really love natural looking photos. So what that means is essentially I like to Cody's point earlier with this Canon camera at 10 seconds, the Joshua tree, let's say would be a silhouette. I personally like the fact that you can see a lot of foreground. So I will do what's called stacking photos where I might take 30 second exposure at ISO 12,800 for the foreground specifically. So a Joshua tree, I might stack, I might stack 10 of those photos to reduce some of the noise. And then I might take another five or six photos for the sky at different exposures so that it gives you somewhat of a a realistic looking photo, something you might see with your own eye if you know, there was a little light on cause you can't generally see in the dark. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially what you're saying is like you are Photoshopping it, like you're blending several different images, but it is what is actually there. Yes. Like you're not, you're, you're keeping it as to what is actually there, just making it more visible to the human eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a really cool thing. I hate when people compose. So that is when you Photoshop something that's unrealistic. So like if you see an astro photo of LA, like unless there was like a massive power outage and everybody in Southern California lost power, you wouldn't see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's art. It's, it's a style, but I'm, I'm not a fan of it either. No, we're very much, uh, like we're nature photographers. We, we like capturing and documenting Mm -hmm. the nature and like the, the stuff that's there. (laughs) And I think there's something, really special about that because we live in a very over-processed world with a lot of stuff. Like you got filters on Instagram, you got like all this other crazy stuff. So like if we stay true to that style of like, we want to capture the natural beauty and like keep it as realistic as possible. I think that's awesome. So, uh, one of the things that I do for my time lapses, if we're talking time lapses again, is add motion to it. So there's a saying in cinematography, motion is emotion, and that applies to time lapses as well. This is pretty tricky, actually. So you need to either get like a very expensive product that does the math for you, or you're getting a cheap product and like you have to do the math. Like I've gotten sliders where I have to calculate how much it moves between every photo and stuff. Don't ever go for the cheap product. You're going to spend 300 bucks. You're going to hate your life. You're never going to use it. Go for the like thousand dollar product. If you're, if you really want to add movement because like it'll do the calculations for you and it moves perfectly every time. Yep. But I remember one of the products I bought was an Edochrone surface one. Oh geez. Yeah. I have to talk about it. I have to. <laughs> no, we do. I, it's a funny story. I, I'm not saying OGs oh, for those of you listening, because I don't want to hear the story. It's actually pretty fucking funny. And you'll find out why I said OGs oh, here in just a second. So basically <laughs> it's, it's a surface one. So it, it, it shoots like it, it has wheels underneath it, but it can only operate on flat surfaces. I can't mount this thing on a tripod. It just rolls on a flat surface, right? The way that I got to shoot Astro time lapses, because you got to think we're going out in nature and we're going to these places, is I brought a folding table that it could slide across. <laughs> and like, I like we hike to some of these places. Mm-hmm. Like we we hike to get these shots. So like, I'm carrying around my backpack and all my camera equipment, and this like twenty pound folding table, 
like across rivers and streams and like <laughs> up these like mountains. Like, oh my God. Like I should have bought a slider at that point because of how much. For like, sure. I mean, it was, was worth it, but geez, dude, carrying that thing yeah. everywhere. Oh man. So like there, <laughs> mo- motion is a great way of adding it. Like didn't need to bring up the table thing, but I also just like felt like I had to bring it no, up. No, you have that's to. How I added, it's a hilarious part of the story for sure. One of my know, favorite like people, one of my favorite time lapses to date was when both of I were in the racetrack. Both of I, what? Both of us at Death Valley at the racetrack. We have a, yours was a little different because you had it on a table, but I had the Rhino slider at the time and I put it on the floor and I have a rock with a light off to the side on the rock. The slider yep. is moving the opposite direction as the Milky Way is rising. And that is still yep. to this day, one of my favorite time lapses. Oh yeah. My favorite. It's one of mine too. So the surface one, the cool thing about the surface one is the slider just goes left to right. Mm-hmm. The surface one can do this parallax thing where it does like a 360 turn. So like I had to do like a 180 around that rock. Yep. And like, that was so cool. So like there were a lot of benefits to that. It's just so ridiculous. Like I remember us crossing that river with me holding the table. Oh my god! Trying not to fall in, stepping on these tiny rocks. That was ridiculous. Um, So yeah, motion, great way to to amplify your time lapses. And then I think the last thing that we'll talk about is just how do you think creatively with compositions, Paul? It depends. I just experiment. I sometimes have an idea for a photo that I want and it just doesn't work out. So I just have to experiment. Um, I still to this day want, it's funny because I was this close for those of you listening, I'm doing the little pinchy finger thing. I was this close to getting one of the compositions I've always want to take. And that is a flower or something up close at night and with the Milky Way behind it. And there's actually because there's rains in Joshua tree recently, one of the cactuses bloomed a flower. And I took a photo on my phone during the day to remember that composition. And I was so excited to wake up and shoot the night sky that I completely forgot. Oh man, that that's a kick in the rear. It is. Um, so the photo pills app is kind of like our hack to know, like you need to know where the part of the night sky you're, you're photographing yep. is going to be to even figure out your composition. But a general rule for composition for beginners is something called the rule of thirds. Essentially, you're drawing two horizontal lines along the, uh, the image and two vertical lines mm-hmm. along the image. A lot of modern cameras will let you turn on the rule of thirds grid mm-hmm. on, uh, on your camera. But look it up online. Look up the rule of thirds. Like, it's a super crude, easy thing to do. But, like, typically for Astro, you want to, like, make sure that your horizontal line, your lower horizontal line in the rule of thirds is level with the horizon. That's going to psychologically create usually the most pleasing image. And if you have a foreground element, putting it in one of the the left or right quadrants of the frame is going to amplify your image, make it a little more pleasing, not putting your, your... subject dead center. Right. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing is if you have a modern phone, the modern phones now have the rule of thirds. So I have often during the day when I'm setting up, take my phone out, turn it landscape. So sideways. So it's like 16 by nine. And I use the rule of thirds on my phone to kind of put the tree. Maybe it is a tree depending on the story I'm trying to tell. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great way to start. Composition is going to be like everything to Mm -hmm. getting a very pleasing astro photo because there's a million photos of the night sky. And that's not to discourage you because there's a million other people's photos, not your photos. Yeah, there's a the most important and thing when is you there's snap a, it, there's a memory. There's a million photos of the night sky, but none of them are yours until you start yep. taking photos. Exactly. So uh, uh, when you click that shutter button, that all of a sudden like processes something in your brain where it just locks it in and, and that's a memory. Yep. So it's worth going out. Don't feel discouraged because there's a bunch of other astro photos. Don't feel discouraged if you don't love your astro photos like at the start. Keep at it because like we all start somewhere. We talked a long time. Yeah. I mean, hey, look, yeah. if you want us to go a little bit deeper about a certain section, we could potentially do a astro, an astro photo episode, you know, version yeah, two. We didn't, even, we didn't even get into like deep space stuff, man. Like, Which is okay. Woo. I mean, we wanted this to be, you know, a little 
beginner. More accessible because like deep space stuff, you're spending like thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, the good news is you don't have to stack images. You don't have to get a star tracker. You don't have to go out and manually stack images. Like you don't have to do any of that stuff that I do or we do. Just go out and have fun. Yep. That's exactly it. If you guys have any questions when it comes to travel, adventure, photography, emails at explore.travel.capture at gmail.com. We, we want this podcast to be community-driven, Yep, and that's the best way to do it. Do you have any topics you want us to talk about? Please let us know. You can find us on Explore Travel Capture pretty much anywhere. If you're watching this on YouTube, you kind of already know where to find us, but nonetheless, we'll have some links to our social media below. Um, can you put yeah. that stuff in the show notes of Spotify? I don't even know how Spotify works. <laughs> so how... So like I pay for the RSS feed and that updates it all. So I just add cool. this to boom that and it's super perfect. And then tune boom, in roasted. next week because uh, boom roasted. Um, Stanley, you're fat and you crush your wife in bed. Is that what he says? Yes. Is that the line? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, your heart stinks. Your heart stinks and you oh, that's crush right. your wife in bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, the office references. If you guys want to hear how the the project with Sony went and get more in depth than that, definitely going to be talking about that next week. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, Paul will give us updates on his little trip. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. Yep. Cool. Hopefully, you get some stuff. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> oh yeah, putting out in the universe. Well, until next video, we'll see you guys around. Peace.